Munir and I recorded this episode over a week ago. I really struggled with whether or not to release it. None of the information discussed is intended to be insensitive or offensive. Not in any way. In fact, it's really good information that I feel like could benefit us as individuals as well as as a community. So I made the decision to go ahead and release this episode. It is about investing, and I hope you'll receive it in the spirit we intended. Thank you. You're listening to The Purple Stethoscope. I am your host, Devin Nixon, family nurse practitioner. None of the information in this podcast is sufficient nor intended to diagnose your personal medical issue, but there's a lot to learn, so let's start the show. Hi, Munir. I just want to thank you for joining us again. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thank you so much, Devin, for having me on the program again. Uh, it's really nice to be on at this uh, this very, very special time in the market and in the world. Yes. Yeah, so um, as you know, because we've spoken about this briefly, um, I'm in Washington State where uh, coronavirus, which I'll use interchangeably with COVID-19 for the remainder of this recording, is um, we're the epicenter for it. We have uh, several cases, uh, the most deaths on U.S. soil, and um, I've spoken with Shamika Brooks, infectious disease nurse practitioner all about um, coronavirus, but I especially wanted to reach out to you because you have another skill set in addition to meditation and capoeira. You are into finance, I understand. Well, you know, I am into crypto finance and uh, it's, a, it's a new and exciting area of finance that is uh, an offshoot of the traditional finance industry but it's completely done on the blockchain. And um, and that's what really drew me into it. the last couple of years. I've really been doing a lot of investing and a lot of trading uh, using those platforms. And in doing so, I had to really get to, up to speed with investing in general because I do have an MBA from the Wharton School, but my focus in business school was on marketing. And I kind of left the finance stuff to the other guys. Um, but um, after getting into Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, I, I embarked upon this, this quest to get on top of finance and understand it from an investor perspective. And I think I, I know a little bit, but I'm not <laughs> going to say I'm the expert. Well, a little bit is more than a lot of us know. Um, And even cryptocurrency, I I learned as much as I feel like my brain could handle and and I I got scared off and I ran off. And I think that that's kind of a theme in our community is um, we often don't have access to the education 
the, the community education surrounding money, surrounding wealth building, surrounding finances. So for instance, in my family, I didn't learn from my dad how to invest and how to, um, the importance of high yield savings versus just putting my money in a regular savings account. Um, I, I learned how to work hard from my dad and I, I learned great work ethic, but they didn't learn about money. And so I think that that is a common story amongst a lot of my peers is that we've had to learn about these things on our own. And like the coronavirus, um, if you are not getting your information from a good source, hysteria sets in and then we start doing things that are really silly, um, that really don't um, help us and even sometimes harm us. So that's where I'm kind of at financially because there's no generational wealth without generational health. So we have to be healthy first. And as we're learning to be healthy and living longer, we need to be able to afford the cost of living. So that's where my interest comes in in wealth building and investing. And I'm so grateful to know you. Yes, well, you know, I, I want to temper everything I say right now with uh, a grain of salt. That um, first thing I want to tell everyone who's listening is that you really need to get a qualified investment advisor. Um, but what I'm going to talk about is what works for me and what I understand as just an entrepreneur and someone who really enjoys uh, looking at the markets and understanding asset value, valuations. So, um, first thing I want to say, Devin, is you're absolutely right. Um, when when I grew up, my father, um, you know, he's a very hardworking engineer, and he always stressed, you know, like you know, get a job and work really hard. And um, most of the wealth in, I think, um, my my father's time was generated through just your labor. Um, but, you know, uh, we're in the United States of America, and this is the home of capitalism. So one of the things I learned very quickly in business school is that you can actually get your capital to work for you. So what I mean by that is, like, so if your listeners are doing well, they, they will overcome hypertension problems. They overcome, like, any issues that would have caused or led, led, led to diabetes, and they're looking at their money and their savings and saying, you know, I'm going to live longer. What should I do with this money? The first thing you want to do is um, take your salary and don't put it in the bank. Um, <laughs> the bank is the place that you want to keep what I call your working capital. And that is just the amount of cash that you need to get by from month to month. And, you know, maybe you want to have uh, on the conservative side about three months cash to six months cash to cover your expenses. Uh, but the, the surplus cash, um, you know, depending on the state of the economy and, and your personal situation, uh, any surplus cash, you should not keep in cash. Now, let me explain. Cash is just an asset. In fact, cash is a tool, and it, it kind of lubricates the economy. It makes us, you know, able to trade goods and services. Uh, in that way, it's a tool. But it actually... Um, it, the way the U.S. government runs cash is that it actually um, loses value over time. And uh, you can, if you want to learn more about this, you can just go and 
uh, Google in, uh, what, what's called senior age. And another thing that you want to might want to look at is what's called inflation. Um, and if you're understanding those two things, you'll understand uh, a little bit more about what happens to your wealth if you keep it in cash in a bank. Um, it actually, especially nowadays, after uh, 2008 financial crisis, the Great Recession, um, you know, Obama, uh, who was a great president, uh, he, 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 he worked with the Treasury Secretary and other uh, economists to implement what's called quantitative easing. And that just made a lot of people holding cash a lot poorer. So, um, and, and the way the world is working, uh, we're going to continue to see those kind of things happen, in my opinion, as the U.S. dollar is, you know, the world's reserve currency and pretty much, you know, the U.S. government can just print money without, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing and no one, no country is going to stop the U.S. government from printing money if it wants to. Um, and um, why is that bad for you? Okay, so it's a very basic thing in economics, Devin, which is called supply and demand. <laughs> and um, yeah, so if, if you're holding a few dollars and all of a sudden uh, the supply of dollars is increasing uh, and the demand for those dollars is not increasing, then the value of your dollar is going down. Okay, yeah. so um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's really not good to hold too much cash. Now, that said, what I think is a really, really wise thing to do about developing wealth, and I'm not an expert, like I said, but is to take some cash and start to insure. You know, um, a lot of us don't think about insurance, but, you know, disaster can strike at any point in time. And, um, you know, uh, whether it's health insurance or life insurance or, um, I'm going to give you an example. My brother, uh, he was a very, very healthy, um, he was like a track champion, tennis champion, you know, Taekwondo, amazing athlete, just bigger than me, stronger than me, faster than me, and he was younger than me, you know. And um, he passed away, you know, last October, very suddenly, and he did not have life insurance. And that caused me to have to spend a lot of money that I wasn't anticipating to spend. Now, if you, uh, you want to, you know, do well by your family, the first thing you should do with your excess, your surplus cash is go and get some insurance. Okay? Yeah. Um, and um, that's the first uh, step to, I think, being a good person in finance. Yeah. Just being defensive, you know? Start with defense. Right. And I'm so glad that you started with that because we also as a community are very bad about preparing for the inevitable. Um, I, th I think we've been in survival mode for so long that that has become a norm. And the foresight to say, hey, you know, I drive a car every day, an hour commuting. It takes a split second for my life to change. We don't think about that. Or um, we're so strapped for cash that we 
you know, don't prioritize that as something that should be on, uh, at the top of the list as far as um, being a good steward and a good provider for your family. So I'm really glad that you started with that point um, that you said, you know, the bank is not the place for your salary, just your working capital, three to six months, uh, not to keep surplus cash in the bank, but to um take and ensure, first and foremost, to take some cash and ensure health, life. Um, I would add to that while you're on the subject, you might want to designate a power of attorney and a power of attorney for health care and, and get your will and trust together. And I'll leave links in the show notes that can really help listeners to get those things done. I've recently um, had to do this with a family member and it was uh, a, a very taboo subject, something that had been avoided for years, but we're in a place where we can't avoid it anymore. And it was much easier than I thought it was going to be. Um, and what we ended up doing was having a, a friend who is a notary come to the house and notarize these documents and they'll go in the safe deposit box. So, you know, that's... Um, goes right in there with insurance. So I have to plug that into my side hustle sisters looking for a side hustle. Getting that notary is a, it's a great thing to have somebody who's in your community, who knows you, who understands the family dynamic and understands the anxiety that can come with, um, you know, the, some of the more formal processes and involving lawyers, etc. So there's my plug for that. Now we have our, our money in the bank, our working capital in the bank. We have our surplus us, we're insured, we're prepared. What next? What what now? Okay. So after you're insured and after you set up that trust or at least at the very minimum have your will, uh, the next step is to, uh, for those of you listening who do not own a house, uh, I would highly recommend that you use your surplus cash to, you know, put in a sinking fund so that you can put down uh, a down uh, deposit on our house. And um, and that's because we all need a place to live. And, uh, you know, a lot of us, like one of my best friends in the world is from Detroit, and he's a great master of Capoeira. Um, but he, he's been paying rent, and he's, uh, you know, we're all, we're all getting older. And at some point in time, for people who depend on their income through their physical labor, there reaches a point in time when it gets more and more challenging to, uh, you know, make ends meet right. with your physical labor, right? Uh, so we all need to prepare for that day. And I think that uh, the wise thing to do is actually to uh, not spend too much time, time renting, like as quickly as possible you want to get a house it doesn't have to be a fancy house That's right. it doesn't need to you know but mm-hmm. you do want to have that so that also is my my third defensive move so the first one of course uh, re- reiterate uh is insurance second one the trust uh, or a very minimum a will and the last one is uh, a house and then I think you're ready to start investing. I see. One of the first things that um, 
I have learned is, you know, the difference between um, a regular savings and then that high yield savings or a place to, to keep the surplus cash while you're growing it, getting ready for a down payment or the holding for investments. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, because again, I'm, I'm quite the novice, <laughs> but, um, so I have my little, little stash and I've been watching, um, the news and the stock market and, you know, what they're calling a crash. And I'm going, okay, is now the time for me to buy stock? Is now the time to invest, to jump in? And what should I be looking at what can what would a good investment look like um, and you don't have to answer my question directly but that's kind of where where that's what you want to get to yeah well okay, yeah. So, so yeah so yeah so I would say this then and so uh, first um, after you get your house you don't want to start stock picking um, and uh, why I say you don't want to start stock picking is that uh, a lot of us really aren't, you know, educated in finance. Yes. And um, my brother had his own company, but even he didn't really know how to, you know, do his books. And what what I mean by education and finance is you you should know about how companies work and how they generate revenues and how they are measured. Because when you see a stock listed, it actually goes through a very rigorous process at the SEC, United States. Securities and Exchange Commission to list uh, what its earnings are, its balance sheet, and that kind of thing. So you would need to, I think, understand those things first, uh, and and really uh, understand what the value is behind the company before you would jump into stocks. Now, that's just me because I'm a very conservative guy, mm-hmm. but. Um, there are some investors um, that are very famous investors that, that say to buy what you know. Uh, so um, I, there's a, I'm trying to remember his name right now, but he's a very famous investor who said, like, you know, if you, if you use Apple stock and you like the product, you buy Apple stock. Or if you're, you know, if you, um, you know, you, your favorite cosmetic brand, you know that it's winning, you know it's going to do well, um, you buy that brand, you know. Um, so that that's one way of, of investing and it, it what's happening in that case is that you are looking at the strength of the product to evaluate the company but uh, there's a caveat just because the company has a good product doesn't necessarily mean that it's a well-run company mm-hmm. and a well-run company is one that will take a very successful product and turn that into dividends okay and, and that's really something that you need to have a little bit of financial education about to, to really, you know, know for sure. So for those of you who are listening who don't know what a dividend is, a, a dividend is simply the result of when you take your the money that comes in from the company and you subtract the expenses, uh, there's profit and whatever is paid to the owners of the company is called a dividend. And, uh, you know, a well-run company will translate those profits and transfer the future and invest into the future and still return dividends for the shareholders. So if you understand all those things, then I can say to you, without a doubt, you can jump right in and take stocks. If not, 
I would recommend going with uh, exchange trade fund, or called ETFs, which is a kind of, you can do an index of funds, and um, uh, that is a safer way to do it. And this is not, this is not my wisdom. I actually learned this way of investing from uh, a guy called Warren Buffett, who uh, he goes to work a lot, and a lot of my friends actually take photos with him when he took photos with him when he was on campus. But um, Warren Buffett is a very famous investor, and um, he had a mentor named Benjamin Graham, and um, and these guys they they think about buying and selling stocks like like it's they're obsessed with it, and um, he basically. Uh, thinks of investors as, as two types of investors. Okay, uh, he says those that are active investors uh, and those who are more passive investors. So um, he said you really have to know yourself. And so Devin, so like for you yeah. and and for every person listening, you have to really sit down and ask yourself how much time am I going to put into this? You know, how much passion do I really have for looking at companies? Now, if the answer is, I don't have a lot of passion for it. I just, you know, you know, want, want to do this very casually. Then I think you should classify yourself as a passive investor, meaning that you don't have the time or the desire or the inclination to put a lot of time into researching stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, if like you finish nursing, you take care of all your clients and you come home or you finish your carpentry job and you come home and you're like, oh, i got to get out to the stock market and you spend the rest of the night, you know, three, four hours looking at stocks and researching stock news and that kind of thing, I would say active investing is good for you. And um, that's basically, um, that's basically the, 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 the uh, so the high level of of how you decide whether you want to get into picking individual stocks versus going with a fund. Yeah. And um, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Could you have a question? Well, no, I just I I'm kind of laughing because I think five years ago I would have said, oh, I don't have time for that. I'm passive. But as I've worked and worked really hard and seen how difficult it can be to amass wealth when you're laboring for every dollar, my interest has grown. And now I find myself waking up maybe a little too early in the morning, just looking at things kind of, um, I, I guess, more of an information gathering, watching trends, looking at, um, you know, the past week, the past month, the past year, two years, and, and getting an idea of um, what stocks I might pick or um, what would be a good time to do to, you know, put money into a more passive style investment with a, with a portfolio that matches my, um, investment style. So I I like that you broke that down between active and and passive, because, um, what I'm hearing you say is that what you don't want to be is, is the third type and that's the (laughs) non-investor, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you, you definitely want to invest. Um, and the, the important thing to remember, uh, Devin, and for everyone listening, is that there are many, many financial assets. Uh, and don't feel like you have to just invest in stocks. That's my first caveat. You know, okay. uh, Right now, stocks look very attractive. 
but you have to understand that uh, stocks go up and they also go down and the timing is very important, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, and there, there are a lot of things that good companies can do to make dividends, I'm sorry, but there are also challenges that every company will face and those challenges are industry and just economy related. And um, right now, uh, I, I think that the, the world is just gonna have a few challenges and every company in the world is gonna have a few challenges because of the coronavirus, COVID-19. So um, if, if you have been looking at stocks recently and said to yourself, hey, man, stocks have been doing really well. I could have, if I had invested, I would have done really well. Uh, remember that, you know, past performance does not indicate future success, okay? So um, what I mean by that is, if you're looking at a stock that went up like it ran up maybe 50% or 100% and you're like, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick this stock because it's a winner. You might actually be in a lurch. You might, you know, you would have fallen into a trap uh, of investing in a stock at its peak, which is not what you want to do. When you're an investor, you want to buy low and sell high, right? Mm. Or if if you if you, if you have very sophisticated financial tools, you want to sell high and buy low, which is called shorting. Okay, so um, so. Right now, I would say that everyone listening needs to understand that the stock market is a market of expectations, okay? And what that means is it's looking at what the average investor expects a company's stock to be worth. It might not be actually what the stock is worth. And uh, there's a lot of research out there that says that there are times when the market becomes exuberant and irrational. And I actually think we have seen that happen uh, definitely uh, in, the, in the very most recent periods, okay? Just before, you know, a lot of people realize that the coronavirus is, is kind of bigger and, and than they anticipated and gonna, mm. you know, impact the economy, the global economy. Not just China, yes. but and it's definitely impacted China. But it's coming to the United States now. It's going to impact the United States. Yes. So that said, I want to introduce to you and all the listeners all the assets, all the financial assets that I think are are, are not. So every, remember, every market is kind of like a market of expectations in some ways. So whether it's cryptocurrencies or whether it's gold or whether it's bonds or right. Um, Which is really, <laughs> it's really all I know. So, I mean, when you say stocks, bonds, and, and you say gold, I know stocks, bonds, and commodities like gold and silver. Can you, before you go into, or maybe you were about to do this and I cut you off, so <laughs> I beg your pardon, um, yeah. but a little maybe knowledge on what is a stock, what is a bond, and, and these other financial assets. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Sure, sure. sure. Okay, so um, basically a stock is a, a certificate of ownership in a company. So like, for example, if you and I, then we get together and we're going to do this like um, 
dreadlock here shop and mm. we're gonna like I'm gonna put you know 50 bucks and you're gonna put up 50 bucks and together we have the, the company that we form <clears throat> let's call it DNZ dreadlocks um, they would have a hundred dollars worth of capital and if we made a hundred shares uh, of ownership each year would be worth one dollar and basically a stock is a reflection of a, a share in the company and how much it's worth now, a bond is is basically a debt instrument. So, um, like for example, if we're gonna do that 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 dreadlock conditioning shop and taking care of people's hair, uh, and we realize, hey, man, a hundred bucks is just not enough to get the storefront, to get the signage, you know, to get the chairs, um, to put the lights on, and then we say, you know, we're gonna we're gonna get some money from the bank. Right, we can go to the bank and uh, we can ask for a loan. Right, mm -hmm. the thing is that you know, big companies they don't they they will go to the bank, right? But a lot of times, what they will do is they'll they'll create special debt instruments instead of a loan. That well, it is a loan, but they call them um, bonds because they have a fixed period, kind of like a mortgage. Right, sometimes it's thirty years. Sometimes ten years or whatever, and it's basically a guarantee that whoever holds this bond is going to get their money back, right? And they're going to get it back with interest, and that interest may be paid uh, over like every six months or every year. It just depends. But all of the features of the bond, they're always uh, you know put into a contract, and those terms are honored. Now, people default on bonds. And companies default on bonds all the time. So what we do is we have bond rating agencies that will say, hey, you know, this company is definitely a company that's going to pay back its debts. And they'll rate it like a AAA bond, right? Or in the case of governments, they'll, they'll do the same thing. And, for example, our government, the United States government, uh, has bonds that they'll issue. And uh, they're very, very, very well respected in the world. So um, people don't expect the U.S. government to default on those bonds. So one of the things that you can do, and as a wise thing to do, is to buy U.S. government bonds. And they can be federal bonds, so like treasury bills, right? They're called T-bills. Or you could, you know, like if you're in Washington, you could get municipal bonds that are offered by, you know, that the, the state will issue. Okay, um, and these are fairly safe because you you can keep your eye on the, the local government or the government in Washington and see what they're doing and know that okay these guys are serious they're managing the economy well and they're going to make sure that I get my bond payments back you know like whatever I I I've lent the government I'm going to get back um, whether it's uh, on the state or the federal level. So that's basically what, or that's basically what a bond is, and it can be done by, like I said, the federal government, you know, local government, or a company, or even you and I with our with our shop, we can go around to our neighbors and we can say, look, hey, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a bond here, you know, you give give me a hundred dollars, and I'm gonna give you like, you know, a hundred dollars back plus interest at this rate or at that rate, right? Mm -hmm. So that's how bonds work. Now, uh, those are for, you know, financing operations, but 
the economy also has got a lot of other stuff in it. And those things are, those things are called commodities, like for example, like pork bellies, like, or anything, a lot of things that we're gonna eat, um, you know, oil that we'll use to fly or whatever, they're called commodities. And you can, you can buy those too, right? Um, they're a little bit more risky. Uh, in terms of assets, because I wouldn't say they're more risky, but you really need to know uh, your commodities. Meaning, you know, if you're gonna buy, you know, let's let's say you're gonna buy like uh, pork bellies, and you know, all of a sudden there's this African swine flu in China, mm-hmm. and the the supply of of, of pork is gonna go down. Um, these pork bellies. The, the, the number of pigs are going to be called and the, the, the supply of pigs is going down so therefore the demand for pork bellies if it's constant was going to make the price go up then you can say okay I'm going to I, I know about this and I'm going to invest in this commodity and profit from that okay so but commodities require a little bit of like I said active investing okay um <clears throat> Everything outside of U.S. government bonds, uh, federal bonds, require some active investing because the only bond or the only financial instrument that is risk-free is offered by the U.S. government. Okay, so if you have that surplus cash, maybe the first thing you want to do is before you jump into stocks, you might want to start with bonds, and especially if you are older. So if some people who are listening who are like. 60, 70 years old, I would say, hey, don't put a lot of money into your into stocks. What you want to do is know that your wealth is being preserved and you're going to get a little bit of money on it. So it's better than money in the bank. It's not a lot better, but uh, at least you're going to get your money back. Whereas with a stock, you can put your money in, it can go up or you can lose all of it. Okay? So these are the things to understand the difference between stocks, bonds, and commodities. Stocks, the value can go up, it can go down. And with commodities, prices can go up and they can go down. So that means you're always going to be exposed to those two. With bonds, if you buy high-quality bonds, you know for sure you're going to get your money back. Okay? So um, if you're a defensive person, like I am, you start with bonds first. And once once you've done bonds, then you want to do what I call a fund. It can be a mutual fund. When the, the wisdom behind a mutual fund, uh, that, and this is really important for everybody listening to understand, is that a mutual fund spreads the risk of stocks across a whole industry or the entire economy. Like for example, you can you can get mutual funds where the the managers of those funds are trying to what they call diversify away risk. So that is almost like a bond in the sense that it's the chances of it going down are very, very low. And this, this is probably like the, the, the second level after you get, you know, your U.S. treasuries, you want to get onto some of these, these mutual funds. And then, and, and the thing to remember about this, Devin, this is all, um, this is all, think of it like a pie, you know? Um, so you might say, say my salary is $100 a month, right? Um, when I get my $100 and I, you know, finish paying my insurance first, you know, I've, I've paid uh, for my, ins- um, uh, my insurance, I've got my, um, 
I took my health insurance. What was the next thing? Oh, yeah. I paid my insurance, and then I've paid my mortgage, not the rent, right? Mm -hmm. And then, so, so you know, whatever is left now, uh, that's what I'm going to be investing more actively with. So then after, after we've done that, then we're going to go into treasuries and say, okay, maybe treasuries are safe, so I'll put, like, um, 30% of what remains in the treasuries. And then... After that, I might do mutual funds, and I might put 20% of what remains into mutual funds. And then lastly, because stocks are risky, you know what, but it's only a small part of my portfolio, I'm going to mess with like maybe 10% of my portfolio and put it into, into, into stocks. And then finally, I have like another 5% I'll put into commodities, and another 5% I'll put into cryptocurrencies. Mm. You know, that way you're, you're, you're structuring your portfolio um, in a very, very balanced way, so that the uh, the assets that can really go up in value, they can go up and work for your work for you. But if they go down, they don't really impact your wealth in a significant way. You know what I mean? Yes, and this is exactly why I reached out to you because, you know, I have a financial advisor and, you know, I have, like I mentioned before, about three portfolios and there's different advisors for each one. And they all say, oh, you're young. You can be more risky. Um, you should have like a 90-10, 90% stocks, 10% bonded portfolio. I never go, I've never yet gone above 80, 20. Um, and I've done okay so far until now. So there was that last quarter of 2018, which was bad. And then since then I've done really well, but now I'm at this point where I go, okay, my portfolio, my, my main one and my best funded portfolio where part of my paycheck actually goes to it and my employer provides matching that portfolio is looking about 80-20 right now, and I don't really know what to do with that, especially when my personal financial advisor is saying, you're young, you know, stay the course, um, but I, I so, know, yeah, I know my I, investment I, style. <laughs> I, I hate to say this to you, Devin, but it's true, and you got to watch the, the money. What I mean by that is you're, sometimes your financial advisor just gets paid to advise you to buy stocks. I don't want to make it sound like they don't care about you. Yeah. I'm sure they do because you're a very wonderful person and they really are in your court. But they get paid, actually. Um, they're, they're, they're incentivized to sell you stocks. And um, that's a lot of things that, that's one thing that people don't really know. Like, for example, if you go to Citibank and you're working with a, a, a financial specialist there, a financial advisor there, they are almost always going to push you towards a Citibank portfolio, a Citibank mutual fund or something that they recommend. And they're salespeople, you know? So when I say look for a certified, like, financial advisor, I don't mean someone in your bank. Right. I actually mean someone who is independent of any institution who is not an instrument of that institution or an agent of that institution. Um, and if, if, they're in, if they're truly independent, I don't think they'd advise to do 80-20 or even 90-10 because that is so, like, I mean, Devin, if you're 20 years old, I'd say, okay, no problem. I'm not but, you 20. Know, <laughs> you know, I, yeah, 
The day that I reached out to you, I, like I said, I've been a lot more active recently. I've been watching the markets and I said, let me just make an appointment with my financial advisor. Well, the day I reached out to you was when I left that appointment and I just thought, you know, the little bit of knowledge I have with what I'm being told, this does not sit well with me. And let me let me reach out to Munir and I just ask, you know, is is this the time to be buying? Like we keep hearing over and over, stocks are on sale, stocks are on sale. Now's the time to buy. But I've just in this short time learned so much from you. Yeah. Yeah, this is my caveat now to to you, Devin. I say do not touch stocks with a ten foot pole right now um mm. it is really a dangerous time to be buying stocks right um and i'll just explain to you why i have this this sense when you have a lot of unknowns in the economy as we have right now investors and i'm not talking about me and you if the whole world of investors was like people like me and you i'd say yeah go, go for it yeah. But the whole world of investors is full of guys who went to Wharton, right? Or Harvard or Stanford. And they are really well trained. And they just love to fleece people who don't know anything about, you know, stocks and what's happening in the economy. And these guys are super jittery guys. And they only take sure bets, right? Yeah. They don't. They don't gamble with their money. If they gamble with their money, they'd never be successful. They would never beat the S&P 500, right? So a lot of these guys, uh, they're very serious investors. And if they tease anything that they don't understand or the fundamentals change in the economy, they jump out, right? And, you know, I was, I was at the Y in Mount Vernon and I was talking to, you know, one of the guys after the workout and, you know, we're, he, 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 he's the manager fund and he's like, hey, took all my money out of stocks, you know? And he managed a quite, quite a reasonable, you know, portfolio. I have friends in New York that run portfolios too. Uh, they took their money out of stocks from last year, okay? So if if you're a regular guy on the street and your advisor at Citibank says, hey, I'm not even speaking on Citibank, maybe it's Chase or maybe it's Wells Fargo. And they say, hey, you know, put 80% of that paycheck into stocks, that would be a disaster because right now the volatility in stocks is at an all-time high. Um, uncertainty is very high. Um, on Thursday this week, it went up a, treme- a tremendous amount, and the very next day, That's right. it went back down a tremendous amount. And Thursday so, is when I was up at four in the morning um, <laughs> buying, <laughs> buying stocks because I got so excited, you know, and they're very. They're very strategic, even with the apps and the way that they illustrate it. You know, green, we all know green means go. Green is the color of money. Red means stop. Being in the red means being broke. And so you get this kind of um, emotional even response to seeing those colors. And I certainly did that. And I certainly, I'm not out 
too much. I didn't, you know, I, I am somewhat conservative in, in how I am with my money. I feel a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. So I try to keep some in my hand. But um, I, I just like so blown away by your knowledge. And I am so grateful that the listeners have access to just someone like you who's studied, who's done some work, who can speak to these things with a level of experience that most of us can't and most of us haven't been taught. Um, you know, because it's not familial knowledge. Like you said, you were getting into cryptocurrency and, and to be able to do that, you had to have some foundational knowledge, um, which brings me to my last question for you. And of course you can add anything you want. I, I kind of feel like, well, this isn't a very good interview because I'm not talking that much, but I'm a student right now (laughs) and I'm just sitting at your feet, taking it all in. You, have said cryptocurrency a couple of times and I think at the beginning of our conversation I mentioned I started to look at it and got cold feet um, because there's not uh, a, a lot of entry-level knowledge from what I can understand. Maybe I could look back at it now and go, oh, this is a good investment or this is how I need to be thinking of it. But can you help me and the listeners to have a better understanding of what cryptocurrency is and why we should invest in it? Okay. I'm going to tell you exactly what cryptocurrencies are, but first I'm going to give you my caveat, which is don't buy cryptocurrencies. Um, and, and I'm saying that why? Because if you don't really understand what I'm about to say, you really don't want to get into it. Like, like I really think for the average listener, a much better investment, if you do have your home, it's probably buy, buy, buy another property and rent it out. Mm-hmm. And that, that gives sometimes a lot better returns than the stock market even. Okay? I have my, some of my best friends in Japan. They get their salaries and they buy properties in America and then they rent them out. And then the salary from, you know, the income from those properties is you know, money to them, that's money in the bank, right? And that's very wise and it's a sure it's a sure bet. Um, whereas, you know, the stock market is not a sure bet, especially if you're not well trained in the stock market. Okay, and you don't understand how emotions are moving the market. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cryptocurrencies are like the market, but they're on steroids. So uh, cryptocurrency is a very, very risky instrument. Very, very risky financial instrument. And um, every financial instrument that you put into your portfolio is uh, risky. Even the U.S. Treasury bills and bonds, the government could default, right? So there's always a risk. And sometimes the risk is very, very low so that we think there's no risk, but there's a risk. So when you're an investor, you always need to know that you're gambling. Okay? That's the first thing you need to know. I'm taking a bet on a horse or a dog or you know a, a rooster, and I'm hoping that this is going to pay off. So if you're an investor, admit it to yourself, you're a gambler. And then... <laughs> admit the it. Thing, Just own it. <laughs> yeah. Own it. And then, and then listen to guys who have been gambling very successfully and, um, and, and learn from them. So... Um, the, what a cryptocurrency is is basically an instrument, a financial instrument that's like cash, but it's it's 
it operates on top of it operates on top of a computer network. It's called a peer-to-peer network of computers, very much like maybe some of your listeners uh, download movies illegally. I hope not, but using torrents, you know, um, torrents are on a peer-to-peer network. So um, uh, cryptocurrency is on a very similar network, and um, it's the value of the cryptocurrency is kind of determined by a few things. Um, that I'm going to explain right now. Um, if it's, and there are several different cryptocurrencies. So let me start off with the first one, which is Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the first cryptocurrency, and it's a blockchain. A blockchain means that every single financial transaction, uh, like if I if I'm sending you a dollar worth of Bitcoin, that transaction is recorded on the blockchain, and the blockchain itself is what I'm sending to you, right? Those, those that actual record is um, is 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 a blockchain. It's part of, it becomes part of the blockchain, and as blockchain grows and grows and grows on top of the network, um, and the, the very first and the most secure cryptocurrency uh, is uh, Bitcoin, and um, the financial the, the the economic fundamentals behind the Bitcoin works like this. There are only going to be 21 million of them. And a lot of people have put, um, made the bet that as time goes on, you know, everyone in the world is going to switch over from, you know, U.S. dollars or Japanese yen to use Bitcoin. May I, may I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. So what you just said, what I understand is that's what the Federal Reserve used to be. There's only so much gold. And so, you know, the, we, the way we lost value was getting away from that um, backing that, you know. So when you describe Bitcoin as um, only 21 million, uh, what I hear, and I may or may not be understanding you correctly, but what I hear is that th- there's that kind of idea that there's only this much. It's not going to be printed and lose value due to inflation. Exactly. And that's why a lot of people, who, especially what we call them Austrian economists, but a lot of people, they love Bitcoin because they know the supply is fixed. They know that the U.S. government can just come in and print more bitcoins, um, and that has that has a value to people because we know that as the demand increases and the supply stays the same, those that own bitcoin will see the price increase. Let me say that again: if mm-hmm. if this, the supply is fixed, but the demand is going to be increasing, if everybody starts using bitcoin. Therefore, the price of Bitcoin must go up. So if you're an investor, you say, oh, I'm looking to see prices go up and sell when they go high, right? You'd want to jump onto a cryptocurrency. But it's a risky investment, Devin, even though it's supposed to be a proxy for gold, like it's supposed to be like the gold and like, you know, we had like a, a, when, you know, we had the economy in the old days, the dollar was backed by gold. but that changed in Brendan Woods, right? Mm. But um, people are trying to bring that back with Bitcoin. But 
it may work and it may not work because there are a lot of barriers to adoption of Bitcoin. Meaning that, for example, you looked at Bitcoin, you wanted to get into it. Be <laughs> like, what is it? How does it work? Yeah. You know, it's very. It is like uh, mostly people who only people who have like technology backgrounds or you know finance backgrounds or economics backgrounds will actually touch it. Okay. okay. So uh, it's a very risky investment and. Yeah. Um, and I want to repeat the wisdom of, of, of Ray Dalio, who's one of my favorite. And, and this is for everybody who's listening. Um, really go out and if you want to invest, go out and read Warren Buffett's books. Um, Benjamin Graham. Um, I know, sorry, Benjamin Graham's book. Um, Warren, um, read about what, what, how Warren Buffett invests. Read, uh, read about guys like Ray Dalio and Bridgewater Capital, the lar- largest like funds in the world. Understand how they uh, they invest, and I, I like Ray Dalio in a way because he he says it very clearly. He says, "I do not like to take bets on things that I do not feel I have a big edge on. I do not like to make any one bet really big, and I'd rather seek." how to neutralize myself against big unknowns and how to bet on them. Mm. And that's probably the wisest sentence mm. I've ever read as, you know, some, someone aspiring to, to become an investor. You really want to just take short bets, yeah. you know. Uh, and if you don't know, don't gamble. And if you do gamble, don't gamble a lot, you know. <laughs> don't put 20% into stocks, you know, because... That's a big, that's a big gamble, okay? Yeah. And it, it can work out for you or it can't. And it's the same for crypto. Um, you know, I, I, I try to be very, very conservative with my crypto investment, but even I invested too much into crypto, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. you know, so you, you, you have to, when you're an investor, you have to have a, you know, a creed, you have to understand yourself and you always have to be disciplining yourself. You know, and uh, don't let greed get the better of you. That is a wonderful place to wrap this conversation. It's gone longer than I typically do, but I think that this is every bit as important as, you know, our health is minding our wealth, being good stewards, leaving an inheritance to our children and our children's children. Munir, you have been a father to us. You have given us the wisdom of a father um, and, and for a lot of us, of wisdom that our fathers didn't have. So uh, I thank you so much for your time. I know you're moving and shaking and doing a lot, but I so appreciate you making time for us and uh, sharing your wisdom in ways that we can understand because it is um, overwhelming and scary and there's a lot of mixed messaging but you've cleared a lot of that up today so thank you you're most welcome and and thank you for having me again on the show and I'm your biggest fan Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for bearing with us for a longer episode of the Purple Stethoscope. I know this might seem a little out of my lane to be talking money and talking finances, but 
I'm passionate about our community. I'm passionate about us getting better and better with every generation. Um, And this is a part of that discussion, how we understand and manage money. I've witnessed many things in my 22-year career in healthcare, but some of the saddest are people who present late, and the reason that they came for care late was because they were concerned about money. Um, It is... (laughs) I can't explain it. I can't explain it to people who don't work in this field, what it feels like when it's too late. And so I uh, am so grateful for my friend, uh, Munir Simpson, who spent the last hour teaching us about money, about the stock market, about the order of business for neutralizing ourselves against unknowns. So thank you for listening. I hope you'll share this episode and I hope you'll subscribe and keep up with us because I listen to you guys. I don't have any agenda here other than for us to be healthier and live longer, better lives. But when I see what you all are thinking about, what you all are worried about, that's when I hit the streets and find the people. So if there's a topic that you want to discuss, something that's important to you and intersects with health, please send me a DM, leave a comment. I will find an expert and we'll talk about it here on the Purple Stethoscope. I'll be back next week. Until then, eat fresh and dance. Bye. for listening to the Purple Stethoscope. I'm your host, Devin Nixon, family nurse practitioner. You can find me on social media at D the NP. That's on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and now Patreon. If you like what you heard, go ahead and share this episode and then head over to Patreon to see how you can further support this work. Mm-hmm.